Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. I'm doing this as this series, which started out as one message, became two and is already now going to be three. And today I want to actually look at some of what we've just done. Because I want to look at living like Jesus would have us live. And are we living in a way that honours God and reflects the nature of Christ? So I want to look today in living like Christ, you know, a life like Christ, is, is how would Christ respond to women in ministry? Now again, like I said last week, I'm sure I'm going to upset some people. I'm going to challenge others and I'm going to encourage others. I would ask firstly those who are challenged, go search the Scriptures. If you're upset... Go search the Scriptures. If you're encouraged, go search the Scriptures. Be like the Berean Christians and let the Word of God speak to you, which is Jesus, and let Him see you through, let you see Him through the Scriptures. Let me start with God's intention at creation. In Genesis 1, it says this, in verse 26, day 6, And God said, Let us make man in our image. I'm reading from the King James, just so those who are a little bit religious Uh, Well, no, I'm not making things up. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, the earth, every creeping thing. And so God created man in his own image. The image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So the word them is very clear. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Listen, to them. Over the fish, etc., etc. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So pre-sin coming into the world, God ordained that men and women, them, should have dominion. Listen, them. Not him, not her, them. That they should have dominion. So God's original intention was that male and female should have equal dominion over the earth. Genesis 2 also indicates that the woman would partner with the man. And it says a helper. Now, we need to understand that word helper is mentioned numerous times in 20, I think 29 places, maybe 30. And every time the word helper is used, the person is a helper of God. Listen, a helper of God, not of a man and not of men, but a helper of God. There's only one place it's used differently, and that's talking about David. So the vast majority of understanding, in fact, pretty much all the understanding, is when God's used the word, or the word helper is used in Scripture, it's got to do with the helper of God. So Eve was a suitable helper of God with Adam, not a helper of Adam, a helper of God with Adam. Adam. And that was God's original intention pre-sin. And what's really sad is that there are consequences for disobedience. And in Genesis 3, 14 to 9, and you can read it yourself, it describes future realities as a consequence of sin. And that would be the supremacy and subjection 
aspects of relationship between men and women. They're not biblical mandates. They're not creation mandates. They are consequences of sin. What God intended was a relationship of mutuality, partnership and equality portrayed in Genesis 1, but sadly now marred by sin. Let me read it to you, verse 16 of Genesis 3. Under the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In sorrow, you'll bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. That is a consequence of sin, not the plan of God. Listen, it's the consequence of sin, not the plan of God. See, the plan of God is a little bit different. In Galatians, it says this in 3.28, and this is Paul. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Paul is trying to bring humanity in the church and the Christian world back to pre-fall understanding of relationships before sin. What was it like? They were one in Christ. And it's not the only passage. There are numerous verses and passages that show us that the intent in Christ is that we are to live like God intended pre the fall, pre-sin affecting our relationships. Men not dominating or subjecting women, nor women men. But this pre-fall equality of serving God as co-helpers of God. Now, some people struggle with that concept because there are still boundaries. There are boundaries between a parent and a child. There are boundaries with an employer and an employee. There are boundaries with a husband and a wife, and there are more. But the core value we're talking about is very simple, that it's not about a dominion related to sex, not having it, but being. In marriage, men should be loving their wives and wives should be reverencing their husbands, not dominating or controlling, nor should there be manipulation, coercion. Marriage should reflect the relationship of Christ and the church and a loving and respectful submission when we're not in authority, but a loving sacrificial leadership when we are in authority. Anyway, back to women and ministry. I hope you're getting the principle. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That's a good start. So follow me like I follow Jesus. And he says, I praise you that you remember me in all things and keep the basic ordinances, all the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But, so straight away we have a conjunctive. I think that's what it's called, isn't it, English teachers? A buts and a, a, a conjunctive. Anyway, I would have you know. Now, this is where people start to grab it. He's talking to them about what they, how they lived. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So understand that relationship. How God is the head of Christ is how headship functions between men and women under the new covenant. So how is God head of Christ? Because Christ is also God. So before we talk about subjugation or manipulation, understand this relationship is the same as Father, Son and Holy Spirit relationship. So men and women should relate to each other like God and Jesus relate to each other. 
And so Paul is taking the relationship and trying to explain to them that their understanding of headship is not God's teaching on headship. It says, every man prophesying or praying, having his head covered, dishonours his head. Well, that's pretty interesting, especially coming in a Jewish culture because Jewish males put a covering on their head. How is that, if the Scripture says it's a dishonour, how is that honouring God? Just a question. And it says this, every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head. That is even... Uh, all one, for that is even all one as if she had her head shaven or was shaven. If the woman not be covered, let her also be shorn. Now, that's not really nice. But, but you've got to remember, this, is, this is in a but context. If it's a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he's the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. For neither was the man created for woman, but the woman for man. He's talking post-fall. For this cause ought the man to have power on her head because of the angels. Now, that's the but. Now Paul says something interesting that, which changes the conversation. Now he says, nevertheless. So what he's saying now, after nevertheless, is actually something that's going to sort of contradict what he has just said or expand our understanding of it. Let's read it. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither woman without the man. For as the man is of the woman, as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. So what Paul is now saying is, hang on, before we get to woman over man, men actually are birthed by women. So Paul now says, we just got to expand that very clearly to understand that there isn't a dominance issue anymore because man is not without woman and woman is not without man. And in fact, in creation, God said it's not good to be alone and he brought them together as co-helpers of him into the house. So Paul is challenging what he's just said. Now, if you read the text and context, that first part of, of but is Paul actually addressing a belief system in the church. This is what you believe, nevertheless. And then, he's, then, he, then he focuses on one point as an example of how we can misread the text. He says, verse 12, And the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things, listen, all things are of God. Then he says, judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? So now he's going to deal with the head covering issue, but as a principle that's broader than head covering. He goes on and says, Does not even nature teach you that if a man has long hair, really it says if a man makes a big issue out of his hair, my hair, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, if a man makes an issue out of his hair. See, Nazarenes made a vow. Part of that vow is not to cut their hair. So they had long hair. Jesus probably had long hair. I'm sorry, all those who've got tracks and short hairs and mohawks and, and mullets and, and what do they call it now? The mohawk with the short, short sides, whatever. Uh, Scullets. Um, <laughs> that's what it's called. Um, uh, Jesus probably had long hair and a beard. Now, I'm not really keen on a beard because I can't grow one properly. Um, 
So Nazarenes had a vow. So you got to read this again in the context. But if a man makes a big deal of his hair, there's a problem. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. Listen, for her hair is given her for a covering. Hang on. She's supposed to cover her head. God covered it with hair. God covered it with it. So she doesn't need to put a head covering on because she's got a hair. I'm sorry, just, just reading the text. Paul's saying her hair is given her for a covering. Same context, same word, covering. So a woman doesn't need to have a head covering. So Paul's saying you're reading Scripture culturally, not biblically. You're reading it according to your culture, which is women should have head coverings. Now, most of you ladies, I can't, there's, don't think anyone here has got a head covering. See, some cultures would say you have to, some wouldn't. Look, if you're in a culture where everyone's got a head covering, ladies, wear one. If you go, if you go to the races, like I don't, and I wouldn't advise it, but a lot of people have those, what they call fascinators, whatever, you know, head coverings. Well, okay. I have no problem if you have one or don't. But the Bible which Paul goes on in verse 16, says this, talking about all these sorts of things. But if a man, if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So Paul's saying this whole bunch of stuff, if you make it a contentious issue, you have a problem. And that includes men over women, because women come from men and men come from women. And, and Paul is saying head coverings, the food you eat, the days you keep, not only here but right across. It's not an issue to God. And so Paul is very clear. Now this, this used to be a passage that people who would argue against women in ministry now tend to avoid because they now understand it's probably not a good argument. In fact, this passage tends to actually encourage and endorse the equality of women in ministry. And so those who are in the theological world avoid this passage now in their arguments about women not being in ministry because this is not a good one for them. It actually is the other way around when you understand the but and the nevertheless and then Paul's talking about the end, another but, which is we, we don't have those rules in the churches. So Paul is saying it's not an issue. I love how Paul handles that. In 1 Timothy 2.12 is what some will use to argue, continue to argue against women in ministry, where Paul writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. Let me, let me read to you a, an opening passage from a person who is so pro-anti-women. He's against women in ministry. Let me read to you his, his opening passage. First, this is him, quote. This is a guy who's against women in ministry. First, we have to be clear about what this does not mean. It does not mean that women cannot serve God. In the letter to Philippians, Paul writes that Judea and Cynthia laboured side by side with me in the gospel, Philippians 4.3. It does not mean that women can never teach a man about spiritual matters because in Acts 18, 24 to 25, we read that Apollos started to preach when he had no clear grasp of the gospel. It was then Priscilla and Aquila 
They heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It does not mean that a woman may never speak in church. In 1 Corinthians 11, 5, Paul is writing about women who pray and prophesy in a church meeting. So it's clear from Paul who wrote and did not, that he valued the contribution of women to church and to ministry. Phoebe served in the church leadership role in Romans 16, probably as a deacon. That's how he begins his argument about women not being in ministry by giving examples of women in ministry. I'm going, I'm confused. Uh, But I do note he forgot a few things. See, he, he left out the understanding of people serving side by side. When Paul says they serve side by side, it's a co-equal function. It's not they served Paul, they served the gospel as co-equals with Paul. He leaves that bit out. He, he, you know, they laboured side by side. He also uh, doesn't focus predominantly on the fact that Priscilla is mentioned before Aquila, the woman before the man, which if you understand anything about the culture of those days, that would be reprehensible to write that down and put the woman's name, the wife's name before the husband. The only way you would do that is that you recognise that person's authority in that realm. So Paul recognised while they both had authority that the wife had the greater calling on her life in ministry and teaching. Pretty important that we understand that. So this guy who's against women in ministry actually starts by telling us all the reasons they should be in ministry. What he tries to do is separate that, that there's a difference between the types of ministry and you know, they can function in any function, they should never be the main leader. Oh, okay, that's fine, but you, you, you're translating that one point to say women shouldn't be ordained. And that misses the whole point because you're giving one exception and making a rule for so many other places. And if you wanted to argue that way, just, just understand this. I'm the senior pastor of this church with my wife. And if she's preaching, she's preaching under my authority. If Brenda's preaching, she's preaching under my authority. Any woman who takes this platform is preaching under authority, right? So just understand that. If you disrespect that, you disrespect me. You disrespect God's appointment of me in this place. And that's the challenge people have to face. And we also need to understand that this letter to Timothy is not a letter to the church. It's a personal letter from Paul to the pastor of the church. We just happen to have a couple of copies of these personal letters. So it isn't a broad instruction. It's a contextual instruction. And why is it contextual? Well, Paul, but Timothy's in Ephesus where the temple to Diana is, where the women in the temple of Diana were essentially temple prostitutes um, and they, the priestesses would dominate men to the point that some men would castrate themselves as offerings to God, goddess Diana, etc. So in that context, people were getting saved and Paul is talking to Timothy about that culture invading that church as a problem. And Paul is saying, don't let that happen. And the word there where Paul says, you know, have authority over a man, that word authority is actually a pretty poor translation. That, that's used very seldomly in Paul's writings. And this word is authentium. It's, it's not like other references that Paul uses. So it means something different. And 
they understand it. In fact, most recent credible scholars of the text clearly see this as referring not to having authority, but usurping or abusing authority. It would be like some, it would be like having a, a woman come into this church and try and usurp my authority and sow discord among people here to try and take them away to start her own church. That's what Paul's talking about to Timothy. He's not talking about having a woman in authority because Paul talks about Timothy's anointing coming from his grandmother and his mother. Not from his father or his grandfather, but from his grandmother and his mother. That same anointing that was on them is on you. Interesting thought. And so Paul then is talking about the, re, the abuse of authority, nothing to do with women in authority. There's nothing in this passage that actually excludes women from being in ministry or having credentialing or having even leading a church if that's the thing that's been ordained for them. See, we have women in our movement that actually lead churches. Not a drama, but they, they've been appointed it's been recognised, the gift and call in their lives. Most people don't really know the history of our movement. Our movement in Queensland started off when two women, listen, two women in the Brisbane area felt a call of God to share Jesus in country towns and they moved up the coast predominantly. And so we now have AOG churches in Gympie, Maryborough, Bundaberg, Gladstone, Rockhampton, I'm not sure about Mackay, but Townsville, all planted by women. I thought the girls would be cheering. <laughs> now, our movement has about 60, 40 men and women, I think, in leadership. In the last 12 months, our state has ordained more women than men, not many, but more women than men. On average, it's normally slightly the other way. So this passage doesn't exclude that because it recognises God's calling. So how would Christ handle the topic? Well, I think we need to look at some text. At the resurrection, while Jesus had 12 disciples that followed him close, we end up being apostles as such. There is a woman in the Bible called Junia who's an apostle as well, clearly declared as such. So just understand ministry is not separate. But at the resurrection, Jesus chose two women to be the first evangelists to take the message of his resurrection to the disciples. At the day of Pentecost, when Peter gets up to preach, he prophesies out of Joel, brings up Joel's message, and Joel's message is very clear when it talks about the Spirit of God being poured out on men and women and filled with the Spirit of God and ministering in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit was like him. So Jesus would agree with the prophetic word of Joel that men and women are called to all levels of ministry without exception to be co-laborers of God in this world. I think the heartbeat of Scripture is to bring us back and the goal is to bring us back to pre-sin creation relationships and functions. Listen, pre-sin, relationship between men and women, relationship between men and women and God and how we work. 
Remember, I've, I've said there are, obviously there are boundaries and employer-employee, parents, children, etc. But in general, there should not be a distinction based solely upon someone's sex between the functions and the capacities they can have in the kingdom of God. Now, I know we live in a world which is putting men down as a general rule, our Western world. It's putting men down and making fun of men and manhood. I am all for men being men and men standing up and taking their rightful place as men of God. But I'm also right for women standing up and taking their place as women of God. I would just love all men and all women to stand up in their God-given calling and function together, understanding we have different gifts and talents We all bring something different to the table. We're all members of the body of Christ and we all have the capacity to encourage one another. We also have the capacity to discourage one another when we start living in contention. We start living, picking faults with people. Can can I just suggest, and it's in my next message, but um, and I think I might have said last week, if, if you read the Psalms, just be very careful. A lot of them are written by David while he was still unrepentant, having committed adultery and cold-blooded murder. So please don't sing the Psalms that David wrote because David had some problems. Look, can I tell you right now, heaps of churches have problems. This one included. Heaps of pastors have problems, male or female. This one included, but I'm male and I'm sure of it. (laughs) Listen, I'm not going to write everything off because someone had a problem in that movement. I'm not going to write that off because God still works through many ways through imperfect people to try and bring us to an ultimate perfect destiny. We are not perfect. Like I said earlier, I don't know one minister, male or female, who doesn't have some weird quirks. I had someone say to me the other day, you're tougher on Christians and sinners. I go, I actually, I was a little bit taken back and I thought, should I take that as a compliment? Because when I look at Jesus' life, his heart to sinners and broken, hurting people, he only ever was really hard to religious leaders and his disciples. So I know he wasn't. Get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. If you don't think that's hard, we just need to take a back step and read. Jesus was toughest with the people that should know the best. Let's not be tough on sinners who don't know sometimes that they don't know. Let's reach them with the kindness of God. Let's not put barriers up that the Bible doesn't put up. Like we don't have women in ministry. Get a life. We had a whole bunch of women up here. Not all. We had about one less man than women on the stage last week. There's one more men than one more men, males than females. I love the fact that we have that in the life of the church and different ages. There's this sense of we are one. We are in this together. I love that we've got Robert and me and Sue and Brenda and Ben and Julia, you know, on this leadership, Michelle. We have this leadership team with men and women in it. Because there are a lot of things my wife sees that I don't see. And she goes, how's so-and-so? Who? So-and-so, oh. What's the problem? And she'll tell me. And you know what? If you get a phone call from me, it could be that my wife has reminded me I should call you. You might think I'm being nice. I'm just saving my neck because I don't want her, her fury. <laughs> she's, not like, she's not like that. She's not like that. 
I am so grateful that God has given me and I'm given to her as co-labourers in the harvest that I'm willing to listen to her wisdom in the things of God, that we together can grow. And hopefully that heartbeat touches the church where we love our husbands and wives and, well, husband loves his wife, you know, and wife vice versa, that we have this relationship of trust and understand I'm not here to dominate women and women are not there to manipulate men. We are in this as co-labourers of God in a harvest for God. God's desire is to get us back to pre-sin, pre-the-fall relationships. And the church should be the place that it's clearly demonstrated. Now, I'm not going to push for an overly have women. I'm not going to have, you know, we're not going to have what the quote is. You, you know, you've got to have 50-50. If there's a call of God, that person ought to be recognised. I don't care who they are. I don't really care if they're young or old. The only condition would be a Bible says not a novice. And can I just say, some 18, 20-year-olds are more mature in their walk in God than some 60-year-olds. So let's just, let's just be careful how we judge a novice. And let's just be careful what we call and how we separate what we call ministry. Jesus said this, Come unto me, listen, all, ye that labour and are heavy laden, he didn't say, come unto me, men. He Come unto me, women. Come unto me, all you that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest to your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, like a musician singers to come. When, when we have this tension and create this war between men and women, we are not bringing peace in the way God intended. We are, we are using sin and the consequences of sin to judge how the world should function in the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God's intention has always been that men and women are helpers of God and helpers of each other in the things of God. Come unto me all, you that labour and are heavy laden. And whether you're young or old, single or married, male or female, and even if you struggle with your identity, Jesus is calling all to repent and come to Him. He's calling us all to live in a way that He called us, to take His yoke. The yoke is just the way of life. That was what the term meant, live like Jesus lived. And He will give you freedom from sin and a new start in life as you learn His ways, as you learn to live His ways in your life each and every day. And, and you know, as much as it says His yoke is easy, I can promise you it is easy, but it's difficult to work out sometimes. Sometimes it's challenging because we bring so much of the old culture in and there's something in us all that leans toward that that old, that sin nature, that sin mindset, that, that judgmental, that critical, that sexist sometimes attitudes. And, and we read the text with that old mind instead of the mind of Christ. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. So He didn't say the life would be easy, but His way is. His way is very simple. You know, I don't have to know a lot. I just have to learn to hear His voice 
and obey Him. Listen, I've got to learn to hear His voice and obey Him. His way is not always popular, but it will bring peace. It'll bring peace in your heart. And if a family walks in that, it'll bring peace in the family. It'll be that both husband and wife will be at peace. There won't be this tension. There won't be this this sense of we're not walking together. But if we're walking His ways, there will. See, trouble comes when we try and mix the ways of God, God's intent with our religiosity, with our worldviews that aren't God's worldviews. And God's worldview is clear that we are all one in Christ, no matter what our race, no matter what our age, no matter what our gender, we are one in Christ. We can all function in the God-given calling on our life, regardless of any of those things. So I'm not sure where people are today, but I'm sure some people are going in their head with, wow, never seen the Scripture like that. And the answer is, go search the Scriptures. Go do some research in what it says. And like I said last week, someone said to me, I only use the Bible as my reference. Well, that's if you're reading English, that's pretty foolish because you're not reading the Bible. You're reading an interpretation of the Bible and a translation. Go back, read the context, know the culture, know how it worked, know how, what it meant when it was said. You know, if, if you don't do that, you read into it the cultural views. We read into it a white Jesus. We read into it a male-dominant Jesus. We read into it and we make the Bible image what we want it to be instead of what God planned it to be. But His yoke is easy. His way is not always popular. The hardness comes when we compromise, mixing the way of the Lord with our way or the world's way. In fact, if you're a Christian and you've tried to do that, it actually makes your Christianity pretty lame, pretty boring, pretty disappointing, and in many ways disillusioning. Until we give it all our heart, then we find His yoke is easy and His burden is light. If you're here today, I want to ask you a question. Where are you in your walk with God? You may be distant. You may be on the way. You may actually be very close to making a decision to walk in His ways. And maybe you have, but there are things even like we've talked about today that are quite confronting, quite challenging. And I'm not necessarily going to ask you to respond, though I'm going to open the altar up. If you want to commit your life to Jesus, or maybe even just want to come and say, God, help me see. Help me see more clearly the heartbeat of God in relation to the issues of life. And if if you're not right with God, all it is is this, God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. This is not a magic prayer. It's got to come from your heart or it means nothing. God, I'm so sorry for living without you. Whether that's a good or bad life right now is not the point. But living without God will ultimately bring destruction upon our lives because sin always has a consequence and a penalty that God wants to redeem you from, but He won't force you into it. But God wants to forgive. God wants to accept people into His family. And He promises that to those who repent and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Can we bow our heads and pray?
Lord, right now in this attitude, this heartbeat of God, of Your mercy and Your kindness, Your grace, the oneness we have as the family of God. I pray You'd move on our hearts. And for those here who don't know You, let them right now sense the tug of the Holy Spirit. They may not know that is what it is, but there's something stirring in their heart right now. And they know only that they need to change their way. I'm going to ask you, those people, and God is stirring your heart right now. If you say, today, I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to start again. I'd just love you to raise your hand where you are. Last week, a woman, a number of men committed their lives to Jesus. Anyone here today? I can see that hand. You can put it down. Anyone else? Come on, any others here today? See the hand, you can put it down, sir. Any others today? In a moment, I'm going to ask those three people, would they come and stand in the middle here? But on the edges, I'm going to ask some people here. Maybe something about today's message has challenged you in your heart. I was challenged in writing it. I'm going to ask you, would you be willing to stand and just walk to the front to the side and say, God, here I am. Help me see, open my eyes. Let me get a clarity in the heartbeat of God, not on only this issue, but so many other things in life. Lord, I've set myself pretty firmly in things that may not be right. Help me to walk in humility. And part of that humility will be to walk to the front. Right now, I speak Jesus over your lives, all of us that you might see Jesus. And when you, see, when you read the Scriptures, you would see it through the heartbeat and the eyes and the Spirit of Christ because the letter kills, but the Spirit of the Word brings life. Can we all stand? We're going to sing this song, just this part of the song. I, I shout Jesus. And if you, if you raised your hands or know you should have, please just come to the altar area. Come on. pray with me. And it's just simple prayer, maybe a recommitment or a commitment of your life to Jesus. But we'll pray it like it's first time anyway. And God knows your heart. And church, let's just join them as we pray this prayer. Come on, let's pray right now. Pray loud enough so you can hear yourself pray it. Ready? Heavenly Father, I ask you right now, forgive me of all my sin. I receive Jesus Christ into my life as Lord and Saviour. Help me to learn Your ways and to walk in them, to be obedient to You in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. Let me pray for you personally. Father, right now, Spirit of God, the freshness of the Holy Spirit move on these lives. Lord, You've anointed them. Lord, today Your Spirit's moving on their heart because You love them. 
Lord, You love us all, but right now You're drawing, You're making them new. You're giving them a brand new start in life. So I speak the Name of Jesus over their lives for Your glory in Jesus' Name.